Welcome to the Digital Responsibility Podcast. There is a vibrant community around the world exploring how we drive forward digital innovation, products and services, and generally exploit technology progression for the sustained benefit of society and the planet. On this podcast, you will hear from me, Christopher Joynson, and Rob Price, two of the original founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility. As we speak to our guests, to hear their stories and piece together what it means to be responsible in the digital age. If you'd like to learn more, take a look at the website, corporatedigitalresponsibility.net. Welcome to episode seven of the season four of the Digital Responsibility podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined by Joanna Nula, who's, I think, in Greece today. Um, yes. and Dar- dialing in to talk to us about the work of the Internet Commission. So, Joanna, would you like to introduce yourself and tell, tell our listeners a bit about both yourself, but also the work that the Internet Commission does? Thank you for having me, uh, Rob. Uh, as I said to the, uh, in, in my blog that acted as a prelude to this uh, podcast, um, it's uh, a wonderful opportunity uh, for me to speak about the about corporate digital responsibility. It's uh, a concept that uh, at the Internet Commission uh, we have been uh, really thinking a lot about. Um, So yes, let me start with introducing myself. Uh, um, I'm Ioana Nula. I am um, uh, the co-founder and director of research for the Internet Commission. Uh, In the past, uh, I have been uh, wearing mostly an academic hat. Um, I have a PhD in citizenship studies. I have worked uh, um, in uh, the University of Leeds, the UCL Institute of Education, as um, an education uh, expert, uh, an academic. And uh, I am since 2016 visiting fellow at the Department of Media and Communications at the London School of Economics. And um, I I will take this opportunity to say the London School of Economics and the Department of Media and Communications were the main, offered the main platform and environment, uh, the great environment uh, where many people come together from different backgrounds uh, with different identities and so on. And this is where uh, the Internet Commission, um, you know, uh, came to existence uh, with uh, conversations on these important topics uh, of the backlash of digital technology, um, with uh, Johnny Ship, uh, who is uh, my co-founder and colleague since 2016. Um, and yeah, the Internet Commission was the culmination of a, a series of seminars and, uh, and informal conversations uh, about uh, tech and uh, data ethics and um, uh, smart cities and education and so on. And it w- these were the very, very stimulating discussions that uh, amounted to the Internet Commission, which is now an organization, uh, a non profit uh, organization that uh, aims to advance um, digital responsibility and the accountability of uh, tech companies. Um, and it all happened uh, in the against the backdrop of conversations about more regulation in 2016, 2018 with GDPR. 
uh, as well as uh, conversations about uh, self-regulation, the, the failures of uh, self-regulation, and conversations about uh, social media companies' uh, transparency reporting. And I will just close with this. I would say that uh, transparency reports uh, were a major um, thing happening at the time. Um, and it seems to it seemed to be a solution uh, to to the problems, but we thought that transparency itself and self-reporting is not enough. Everything has to make sense for uh, people, for citizens, for users, uh, for policymakers, uh, and it also needs to be asking the right questions. And I think in, in many ways, um, I mean, we started, we were chatting before we started the podcast and, and, and it was interesting that we were both kind of, uh, the work that we'd done around CDR, the work that you started with the Internet Commission, both dated back to about 2016. So, so there was clearly kind of more people beginning to think at that time about the impact of the way in which data uh, AI is an emergent kind of um, technology uh, and, and technology more broadly was used. Uh, we'll come back to it, no doubt, when we talk about the DSA later on. Now, now Johnny came on about a year ago and, and talked to us about, I think, just before the first accountability report was published, and you've just published the, the second accountability report. Now, now, I think how it's felt during the pandemic is that more people have become aware of the need to do something differently. I'm interested what you found in terms of the difference between the accountability report over the, over the year, um, or broadly a year between them. Had people changed? Had the organisations that you were working with evolved? Because the organisations that you've been working with are big, big organisations, aren't they? So it's, it's great to see the... Um, the desire from those organizations to want to be involved in, in an initiative like the one that you're running. So mm -hmm. what, what did you see? What had changed? Um, well, uh, I, I think it's uh, worth, um, uh, first of all, uh, reiterating for the audience some of these organizations. So uh, and to, for people to understand the size and impact and, and footprint and so on. So we're talking about uh, the BBC, we're talking about uh, Sony Interactive uh, Entertainment, uh, EMEA region, Sony PlayStation, uh, basically. Um, we're talking about Match Group, uh, a dating uh, company that came on with two companies, Meetic and uh, uh, Tinder. Um, uh, I don't want to miss someone. A Pop Jam, uh, a, a popular social media platform for children. Um, and this year we had uh, Twitch. Um, so I, I think this is not exhaustive, but it, it uh, you know, gives a flavor uh, of the size of the companies as well as the diversity of the cohort. So we have news organizations, we have dating companies, we have uh, children's uh, platforms. Uh, live streaming platforms and so on. So there is a, a great range of uh, actors um, in, in our cohort. And um, when it comes to the, uh, the change, um, I would say that the, the, the reporting process and what the internet does, we always describe it. We described it last year and this year in the new report as a journey, first and foremost. And it's a journey for both 
the Internet Commission, as well as the companies participating in the uh, reporting process. Um, it is difficult for me to answer the difference and what could the pandemic could possibly, um, you know, uh, change or uh, how it comes in as a variable in the reporting process in the sense that um, some of the companies did not take the second round, did not participate in the second round. Uh, some others, they remained as members of um, our organization without reporting. Um, so we didn't have um, significant information to uh, witness change. We did, however, for instance, have a um, match group that is Meetic and Tinder uh, together with us in, in both cohorts. And we have uh, identified the pressure that these companies were under, um, you know, especially uh, dating apps. It, it was kind of um, um, an explosive <laughs> period for them where people were seeking ways to communicate online, isolated people and so on. And they did try uh, to address the volume of, um, you know, of content and activity on their platforms. Uh, and they were very, very mindful of the new harms, emerging harms of people wanting uh, uh, to participate uh, and to be a part of the online world. Um, but we were not able to really, um, you know, spot um, specific actions in the sense that these companies, I'll take Tinder, for instance, uh, they're companies who were always mindful. That's why, um, as I said in the blog, they, they are confident companies who always try to do the right thing, always try to improve. Uh, and the improvements that we saw may, may, may be attributed to the fact that, you know, the, um, the pressure of the pandemic um, made them more alert uh, to, 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 to risks. Uh, but at the same time, it's a company that cares and then wants to improve. Uh, and they have seen, you know, their weaknesses in the first report and they, they want to do things better and so on. So it's very difficult, I would say, at this stage, we don't have sufficient information uh, and useful, um, I mean, meaningful, I would say, data that will help us uh, identify this uh, change. That's really interesting. And uh, one of the things we learned last time around from Johnny um, was how um, the Inter Internet Commission takes the time to kind of look beyond the face of the platform and actually gets to know the the, the organisation itself, its culture, how it's structured and how it focuses its, its effort and time. Um, and you mentioned in your, your blog about the, the workshops that you've run with them. It's not just a, a quantitative analysis, it's actually engagement to understand some of the complexities of their situation. I was wondering, in the process of engaging with these companies, um, was there anything that surprised you along the way in those conversations? And, and stacking up a second question, did they all realise the extent of their responsibility for how their platform is used and um, kind of where they, they stand on that diffusion of responsibility, which you, you quoted um, so articulately in, in the blog. 
Yes, uh, thanks, Christopher. I, I, I think uh, this, um, these uh, questions are, are really giving me the opportunity to um, say something about my personal experience as uh, a recovering, I will call myself academic, <laughs> in the you know uh, in the bus business uh, and in, in the industry uh, environment. Um, so as a sociologist, uh, as a, you know, of, of the critical school of thought, I have always been very cynical about, uh, you know, the way um, profit driven or profit seeking businesses operate and what is most important, what matters to them and, and so on. Uh, and I, um, I approach these, this process of ours, this evaluation of ours uh, with uh, an open mind. Um, I try to leave uh, cynicism behind and I was uh, positively surprised, I would say, to, to, to you know, get to the uh, point of your question. And that is that I, because of the fact that I met people who are really motivated, who are really inspired and driven to do the right thing, and they see the benefits and the, um, the growth and the thriving of their platform um, in the improvement of the experience of their users and the improvement of uh, what I call their civic footprint. Um, so there are many very young, very bright people uh, who have this drive. Um, and then uh, I, I must say that someone, you know, listening or reading uh, my blog uh, and so on, they, they may have, they may raise an eyebrow and say, well, hang on. Tinder, for instance, has many, a lot of baggage when it comes to, you know, the, their uh, performance or outcomes and so on. How can you possibly be so enthusiastic about it? And my response to that will be um, that there is a distance, a very long distance from uh, the, the people involved in our process and the boardroom, the people who make the decisions. Um, and again, I, I'm, it's not my role uh, and it's not, uh, you know, I don't have sufficient information to attribute intent uh, in terms of how the decisions are uh, making, uh, made. Uh, and I cannot uh, talk about malevolence um, and so on. Uh, what I can say is that uh, the people that I have seen and I have worked with are, um, you know, really inspiring people and people who are, most importantly, willing to listen and who take feedback well. And I have seen them integrating the feedback that we give them um, to the extent that uh, we are able to see. So based on what they allow us to see, we are able to give them feedback on. Um, and they allow us to see whatever they are allowed to show. <laughs> so uh, th this, is, this takes me back to my initial statement about this being a, a journey. And it's a journey uh, where we leverage uh, our arguments that come from our understanding of different sectors, civil society, academia, um, and policymakers. Uh, so we leverage this insight, we leverage every year more work and evidence that this can be helpful. 
to encourage uh, companies to be uh, more open uh, and more engaging with the process, seeing the benefits of this. That gives me cautious optimism. Thank you, Joanna. <laughs> I, th I think it also kind of links into one of the conversation threads that we've had probably throughout the podcast series, which is the um, debate around voluntary adoption um, or regulatory enforcement and, and just where kind of that, that needs to be to get the right balance between innovation or freedom of speech but in a way that doesn't cause adverse harms and does protect those people most vulnerable and in need of protection. So, so I'm interested to, uh, I mean, I said earlier, uh, we all all started the things that we were doing in this space around 2016 and uh, Christopher and I were uh, leading at the time a global uh, think tank work stream on digital society working for and with um, Thierry Breton, who's of course now introducing in his role, new role as EU Commissioner, the, the DMA and the DSA. So, so I'm interested to, to understand kind of what your thoughts are around the DSA, especially in the, in, in the context of um, a European regu regulatory enforcement of um, appropriate and ethical behaviours and, and how organisations will, will indeed react to that especially those that, that may be, for example, based in the US. And, and therefore we've got this debate around um, geographical different regulations. So what, what are your thoughts on the DSA? So uh, yes, the, the Digital Services Act um, as a, a package, uh, because it's worth making the distinction between, um, you know, the Digital Services Act uh, for those listening is uh, a legislative package, including the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, uh, the AI Act, uh, and so on. So I'm definitely not qualified to answer uh, about the, the wide range of uh, packages. Um, I can talk about uh, uh, the, the DSA um, and, uh, you know, to, to your reference about the impact uh, of the, these new um, this new legislation on the other side of the pond, uh, you know, on companies based in the United States. Um, my um, understanding is that the, the Digital Markets Act will put a lot of pressure. It, it may disincentivize them, uh, you know, in terms of their operations um, in, in, in Europe. Um, and I, I would think that one of the main questions that I have going back to these uh, companies is how do you ensure, how will you be able to ensure the consistency of user experience across borders? So if I'm, if I'm because as I said, this puts pressure on different um, uh, you know, aspects of their operations, but what I'm looking at is the user and how will these um, uh, regulatory uh, provisions and, and pressures will impact the user. Um, me as a PlayStation player here in the, in the EU and then uh, in the UK and, and so on and uh, connecting with users around the world and how the functionalities or age verification processes and very, very specific things that frame the user experience 
uh, will affect us uh, online. Now, uh, let's go back a little bit to the important uh, thing, this important piece of work that the DSA is and how it relates to our work. Um, first of all, um, as you said, we started thinking and talking back in 2016. I think it's not a coincidence. Many people started talking around this time because it was the um, Cambridge Analytica uh, that was uh, revealed at the time. Uh, a lot of discussions about the impact of uh, social media on the US elections, the Brexit referendum and so on. Um, so obviously it was time for action. And um, we could see that legislation will come. We, we were only, we were hoping uh, and, uh, you know, uh, trying to, to get to, to pull all the uh, omens uh, together and we could see that this will be inevitable, especially in the European context. It is what happened with the, um, you know, Snowden revelations and in 2018, there we are with the GDPR. Unfortunately, the unfortunate thing is that it's a very slow moving process. And by the time we've met, we have measures in place, the tech has advanced and we have reached now the metaverse and so on and so forth. So what we suggested at the time was the concept of agile regulation, a type of regulation that will be uh, flexible enough, enough to, to adapt to uh, the uh, rapidly changing uh, technologies. And that is something that we advised uh, it's only possible to happen through multi-stakeholder dialogue and continuous communication. Because the other uh, aspect of the problem is the fact that we suffer as societies from politicians' digital illiteracy. Um, and um, I mean, we have seen senators asking Mark Zuckerberg, how do you make money? <laughs> so, uh, and that again, that was very much in the very beginnings of, uh, of our conversations. And um, yeah, so, uh, when it comes to the DSA, we were very happy to see Article 28 calling for audits, calling for independent audits, uh, even if, if it was a very first draft, I think a couple of years ago when we saw the first draft of the DSA. Um, and it was uh, really promising and encouraging and, uh, you know, confirming our hypothesis that someone who is knowledgeable and also independent has to come in and address the problems of self-regulation as well as the illiteracy of politicians. Um, so the one important questions, in question that needs to be answered by the politicians is what this uh, independent audit will look like and who will be the one uh, conducting it. Uh, so this is where the Internet Commission is at the moment in relation to these uh, legislative uh, developments. And I suppose the implications and ramifications of the audit itself, I suppose, Joanna, because um, you're indicating a sense of uh, a voluntary self-auditing there. And um, uh, one of the points you note in the, the blog talks about um, the value that transparency and open sharing of audit results might have, both in a kind of disincentivizing bad performance and 
driving to, to, to look good to the world, but also to use it as a competitive differentiator um, or an ethical differentiator, I think is how you described it, uh, amongst others to demonstrate that we actually bring another level of value to society. So I, ho- I guess I hope that um, those kind of feelings will come along with that sense of the independent audit. Yes, uh, that is uh, what we hope, and I think this is uh, another way to link uh, this um, uh, provision of independent audits also to the DMA. Like, how do you compete? Uh, and when companies ask, well, you know, the more you ask, the more pressure you put on us, that makes it difficult. And there are all these narratives of uh, freedom, of uh, innovation. Um, and thankfully, uh, we start putting a break in this uh, techno hype, I would call it, or tech hype, um, where everything that has to do with technology is fantastic and great, and it's uh, you know improving humanity uh, and civilization and so on and so forth. Um, thankfully, this starts uh, kind of fading away because people have uh, experienced in very intimate ways, I would say, Um, the negative uh, impact of unchecked digitalization. Um, So for us, I would say the the name of the game is trust. So what we are trying to um, convey, to to convince our interlocutors, our business interlocutors uh, about is that um, you, you cannot go far without trust. And uh, some people, some like expert people in our advisory board have also been saying this, especially when it comes to children's services, right? Uh, um, Be it services designed for children or or services used by children that were not intended for children. Uh, So unless you provide uh, your audiences and your users uh, with the confidence that uh, they are safe in the environments and on the services they provide, um, then you can only go so far. And and we have seen this with uh, companies, you know, disappearing uh, because users don't feel, um, you know, uh, sufficiently confident being online uh, and so on. And and of course, it's a brilliant link into corporate digital responsibility because, I mean, the very Uh, first diagram that I remember Christopher and I produced had trust at the heart. Uh, Even today, uh, the first principle of the International CDR Manifesto, purpose and trust, um, the the work that um, the Swiss Digital Initiative is doing, measuring uh, website privacy, safety, security, is all about consumer trust in in that. So so it's such an important word. Um, I I think another key thing, and it links in with the audit conversation, is our ability to measure. Um, and 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 that's that seems to be kind of a very uh, well complex and much de- again much debated subject in amongst the various communities and groups that I'm I've, I've no doubt we're, we're all part of. So. You've got a digital responsibility framework that you've defined as part of the work that you do. Mm-hmm. How are you approaching the measurement of an organization's uh, digital appropriateness, for want of a better phrase, of the or digital responsibility? As a, how, how are you going about measuring an organization? Or do you think it's possible to measure an organization's digital responsibility? 
thank you for this question, Rob. I, 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 it was the first uh, discussion that we had with our advisory board um, uh, after we uh, published our first report. This is great. Now, how can we measure uh, governance? How can we measure ethical business cultures? Uh, which is one of our, you know, uh, conceptual drivers, I would say, the, the concept of ethical business practice and culture. Um, so that is a very difficult one to achieve. If we are um, talking about metrics and dashboards and pie charts uh, and so on, we are not in a position to do that, first and foremost, because we don't have, um, you know, benchmarks. We don't have volume of participation. You know, we have cohorts of five companies. So I'm, right now I'm speaking about the Internet Commission's process. Um, so it's difficult to speak about metrics, to put it in this way. On the other hand, transparency reports, self-reporting from Facebook or Twitter or um, other uh, big social media platforms provides us an abundance of metrics of takedowns, of uh, upheld appeals, and, and so on and so forth, and government requests uh, that you cannot really make sense of. And we have developed a, a, a critique, and we have approached actually social media companies with our critique of their transparency reportings, uh, reporting where you cannot tell you know, the, the head from the tail, basically. It's just a chaos of numbers and metrics. Um, so in our case, um, I, I anticipate that in the future we may be able to produce something that is, you know, um, more uh, user friendly uh, and something that someone had, had, can flick through our report and say, oh, I'm, I'm, this is my takeaway that companies do well here and this company does well there and so on and so forth. So um, we are not there yet because we don't have numbers to produce quantitative uh, outcomes. Uh, we do, however, uh, we have figured out a way, we have come up with a solution to start uh, creating benchmarks. Because in order to, to measure as well, you need to have a definition of what good looks like, as we uh, tend to say. And this is something that we were missing. Um, and I mentioned in the uh, blog that uh, the United Nations um, Sustainable Development Goals were a good, um, a very useful guide for us in the sense that they're also universally accepted at least on a, from a semantics point of view, because there's a lot to unpack when it comes to you know, how fit they are for different contexts. Um, so uh, we use this as a, as a compass, if you will, and a, uh, you know, and a good reference point. And then we turned to the um, corporate, uh, the CSR corporate social responsibility literature to understand how things have been done so far, how this um, you know, social responsibility has been me measured until now. And um, we, I must say we have found a very useful matrix uh, against which we were able to uh, map, I wouldn't say rank, we are not in a position to rank yet, but map the quality of uh, different practices. 
And um, we have, over the past two years, we managed to create a bank of uh, roughly 50 practices uh, in different aspects of uh, the practice of content moderation. Um, and we were also um, able to identify patterns and trends very, you know, uh, I'm very reluctant to use the terms, but it's one first step to that direction. And I, I am anticipating that we will see more once we more black boxes are opened. So we have seen, you know, embedding user voice uh, and um, uh, consultation outcomes uh, to your work and to, you, to the design of your service is a, is a great practice that many, which is also responding to the expectations of policymakers. Um, it shows that you are on the front foot when you do it, you are way ahead in the game. And uh, it shows that you have respect for your, for your user it shows that um, you understand what their expectations from your platform is, and you are ready to uh, respond when harms occur. So this is just one example, one of my favorite examples of uh, seeing companies embedding user feedback and user voice and doing it not just in the process of consultations, uh, but, um, and I don't want to be perceived as uh, some kind of promotion here, but the, the, the Tinder example always strikes me as one of the best uh, uh, practices where they make sure uh, they understand, um, you know, how ge user generated content is received and perceived on both sides of the communication. Uh, another example is when I send something that their AI automatically detects as potentially harmful, they will ask me, are you sure you want to send this? Something most, more or less we have uh, seen in different services. And then I say, yes, okay. And then the, on the recipient side, uh, the recipient, once they get the message, they're asked, are you okay with this? And this is a very useful way of training their technology and of understanding user needs, uh, a very smart way. So we have seen all these good practices. We have seen bad practices as well, which we anonymize. I must, again, I must say this, we anonymize them because our uh, goal is to incentivize the companies to bring us the in intel, the information to improve the ecosystem. And while our intention is not to name them and shame them. It's an exercise that will work in the benefit of everyone rather than, you know, uh, a political tool, something that can be weaponized. Absolutely. And, and I, think, I think for me, I mean, all of that emphasizes that there's a big challenge for us all ahead. We've all got to understand how we do begin to benchmark or measure organizations, maybe, and, and indeed to highlight great practices and, yes, to highlight things that need to change. And regulation, DSA or otherwise, is a key part of that to provide an impetus for change, an acceleration for change. We've also got a massive challenge around training and development of a capability that, that can actually execute that, whether we call it audit, digital audit or otherwise, um, and, and to equally understand the role that technology has in enabling us to do that, because we should be able to audit some of those things in an automated way, validate, verifying bias, for example, in an algorithm, we should be able to detect, I know that kind of we can already detect that in an automated way. 
Um, so, so I think the key thing is to continue to share and to continue to uh, the, the communities around digital responsibility that are evolving across the globe, support and help each other in terms of push things forward, nudge things in the right direction. And, and I guess there's always that backdrop against uh, the things that we can continue to see in the market, continue to see in the global dynamics, who would have forecast the pandemic and the impact that might have, who would have forecast the, um, uh, the, the position in Ukraine and the impact that that might have. Um, thank you, uh, Joanna, in terms of the conversation. Christopher, any last thoughts from yourself? Yeah, first of all, it's been fascinating to, to hear your thoughts today, Joanna, and, and the work of the Internet Commission. Um, it's I, I'm so grateful that there are other people out there exploring these topics and, and able to talk so passionately about them. As Rob said, it would be remiss of us not to ask you about the news hot off the press about Elon Musk and his recent takeover of Twitter. Uh, he's talking online a lot about driving freedom of speech and other new concepts with his newfound power. I'm uh, just interested in the context of what we've discussed, how you felt about that whole piece at the moment. Yes, uh, it's uh, of course very relevant and it's a very complex issue that often I can see on Twitter being treated, uh, I would say, in a very, very simplistic way, yes or, or no, and uh, it's good or it's bad uh, and so on. It's, it's very hard, it's a very complex and difficult, uh, you know, answer to give. Um, I must say that uh, one of the key arguments uh, in Elon Musk's uh, discourse these days has been, uh, I'm going to create uh, more freedom of speech and the, the back, sorry, uh, the backbone of uh, democracy is um, freedom of speech and so on. And my response to that, first and foremost, my first reaction is uh, no. This is not true. This is only partly true. Uh, and uh, f freedom comes with responsibilities, like rights come with the responsibilities. And freedom of expression is a human right. Um, and that means responsibility means checks and balances. So responsibility means accountability. So mechanisms that will keep uh, the Elon Musks of the world uh, accountable. Uh, we want empowered institutions uh, that will do that. And that is part of the work that uh, the European Commission has to do now, uh, figure out what these institutions will look like. Um, so yeah, there is no black and white answer. I will just um, again use um, a user's tweet about this recently, uh, just uh, a few hours ago, who said that no matter how toxic this environment becomes, no matter how difficult an Elon Musk may make Twitter, uh, we will stick around and make sure that things, uh, you know, uh, work better or at least not enable and make um, uh, any kind of toxic uh, work, um, uh, you know, easy. We don't want to become enablers, so we will stick around uh, and oversee. Joanna, thank you. Um, much appreciated for the whole conversation um, and all the best for the next issue uh, of the accountability report published later this year. Thank you so much for having me, Rob and Christopher. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone.